So here we are today in this third installment of our series, Self, talking about who you were created to be and how you were created to live as yourself in the world. We said the first week that while life has taught us and told us that we're to be self-confident, self-reliant, self-assured, and self-fulfilled, what we all come to realize at some point is that our self is never really enough for Ourself. And what we said from the beginning is that when you realize that, our job and our call is not to try harder to be those things and to accomplish those things. Our calling is to follow the example of Jesus and empty our self, to empty ourselves, to follow the example of Jesus who emptied himself, placing every bit of himself and his life and his ability and his passions, every bit of himself into the hands of our loving, heavenly. Father, and trust that God can do far more with our life surrendered to Him than we can do by ourself. And then last week, we looked at a really fun topic, a really fun, challenging topic, the idea of self-awareness, to pay attention to the things that we don't want to pay attention to, to be aware of our weaknesses and our faults just as we are aware of our strengths and our success. We said last week that life change isn't really possible. This is the bottom line last week, that life change isn't really possible if you won't be honest about yourself with yourself and if you won't be honest about yourself with God. And so we challenged you last week to ask the question, you know what my real problem is? And then wrestle that question to the ground, to be honest about ourselves with ourselves and with our Heavenly Father. And so today we move forward as we talk about how to live as ourselves in this world while attempting to follow Jesus and empty ourself. And today I want to about another thing that starts with self, and it's not the most fun thing to talk about. Some of us, by the by the way, like when you hear me say what I'm, what's going to be the second thing after self, you may just be tempted to turn the video off, but I'm going to encourage you, don't turn the video off. Keep engaged, keep watching. This is something that is truly helpful, something that's really important in our lives. It's the idea of self-control. See, again, you want to turn it off, right? Like, oh, I don't want to hear about self-control. But just as self-awareness is important, self-control is incredibly important as we live as ourselves in the world, as we control ourselves in the world, as we live facing the world. But especially as we follow Jesus, it's incredibly important for us to be self-controlled. Let me read a few verses from the New Testament that set up why this is so important and what this should look like in our lives. A few verses from Paul's letters, just in case you don't think self-control has anything to do with faith. Galatians chapter 5. Paul wrote this, he said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul includes self-control in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. This is the list of what's known as the fruit of the Spirit. Paul includes it in there. And what strikes me as I read that is that the fruit is not just noticeable to me, but it's noticeable to the people around me. The fruit of my life is evident. It's evident to people who observe you that other people notice and experience your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, and oh yes, your self-control. They notice that your self-control doesn't really look like your self-control control, but that you're self-controlled in situations where other people absolutely lose control. But it looks like there's a God element to your self-control. Paul says it's a natural outflow of God's work in each of us that we actually become self-controlled. It's an interesting thought. And that other people should notice it, that it would be evident to the people around us, not just something that we experience internally. Okay, then Paul also wrote this later in his letter called Titus. Titus is written by Paul to a friend and a young pastor named Titus, encouraging and mentoring Titus from a Roman prison, which is kind of a funny thing if you think about it. Do you really want 
to be mentored by someone sitting in a prison. Like if you're Titus, you're like, you know, I actually, I think I'll pass. No, just, Paul had such a reputation. Everyone knew why Paul was in prison for his faithfulness to God. You know, but, but, but he, it's kind of a funny thing to think about. But, just, but Paul writes this letter to Titus to tell him what Titus needs to make sure he passes on to the people he is leading and shepherding within his church. Here's what Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2, verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Who needs to be self-controlled? Who needs to be self-controlled, according to Paul? Old men. Now, if you, so if, if you're an old man, Paul says you need to teach yourself to be self-controlled. You need someone to teach you to be self-controlled. Now, this is interesting. Noble calls me an old man daddy when I go to pick her up from school. She says, I, I said, I, the other day I said, you want me to hold your hand while we went to the car? She said, no, I don't want to hold your hand. You're an old man daddy. And I was like, I'm, I'm 39, like not old, but like apparently I count in the older men category, at least to my five-year-old daughter. And so I count in this. Then, then Paul went on to write a little bit more to Timothy, to Titus. He said this, likewise, Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure. What does Paul say the younger women need to learn? Self-control. What does Paul say the older women need to exhibit? Don't be the real housewives of Las Cruces. Like, just kidding. I mean, I, I mean, really. But how will the younger women learn to be self-controlled? By the example of the older women. So you have older men need to learn self-control. Younger women need to learn self-control. Younger women will learn self-control from the older women who exhibit self-control. And then finally, in verse six, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything set an example by doing what is good so who needs to be encouraged to grow to be self-controlled young men now i like i know my my five-year-old daughter thinks that i'm an old man daddy but i like to think of myself as a young man so i count here too so to recap who needs to be self-controlled? Who needs to learn self-control? This is the one thing that applies to everyone that Paul mentions. Old men, old women, young men, and young women, which chances are one of those categories includes you. And now I know some of you will say, no, that doesn't include me because I'm middle-aged. Well, I got some bad news for you. If you consider yourself middle-aged, you're old. Okay, I'm just kidding. Like, but according to Paul, by Paul's standards, if you're middle-aged today, you would have been old by Paul's standards. Okay, so like, if, you can, if, you're, if, you're, if you're breaking it down to say, well, no, I'm, I'm middle-aged, okay, you're old, all right? That's so it applies to you. This applies to all of us, that Paul would say, if you're an older man, if if you're an older woman, if you're a younger man, if you're a younger woman, every single one of us, it's important that we learn self-control, that we learn self-control. Everyone is challenged to grow in self-control as we follow Jesus. Now, when you hear someone say self-control, we automatically have this internal struggle, right? Because we believe self-control is probably a good thing, and we think it's a great thing when other people practice it around us. We just don't really want to do it ourselves. Because when we hear self-control, what we think of is the things that we want 
but probably shouldn't partake in. Things that we want, but maybe aren't the healthiest option. Things that we want, but we know will make us more tired the next day. Things that we want, but we know we tend to not we, we tend to have issues with control with control around. We think self-control is saying no to something when we want to say yes. And that is part of it, right? Self-control is saying no to another piece of pizza, even though we really want another slice of pizza. Self-control is not eating another brownie when you definitely want another brownie. It's choosing water when an ice-cold Dr. Pepper sounds mighty fine. It's choosing to head home so you can be bed at a reasonable hour instead of hanging out with friends into the wee hours of the morning. It's choosing to do your homework before you binge three episodes of whatever show is the current rage of the streaming world. In most of our minds, that's what we think of when we think of self-control. It's saying no when we want to say yes. And so in our minds, self-control is a necessary evil that keeps us from something enjoyable. And in one sense, it is that. Self-control will probably keep you from doing whatever you want whenever you want to do it for whatever reasons you want to do it. But in another sense, if that's all self-control was, if it was just saying no to snacks and late nights, I don't think it would be worth talking about on a Sunday morning. The reason I think it's so important to talk about today and in this series is I think self-control goes far deeper and wider and actually has far greater implications for your life and yourself. See, here's what we think. We think we should choose self-control because it will make us more healthy. You know, so we pass on the brownie because we're trying to lose weight. We pass on another slice of pizza because we're trying to lose weight. We're trying to, we, 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 Pass on staying out late at night because we know it's better for us to go into work, you know, with a with a fresh mind and, a, and a, off a good night's sleep and off a full night's sleep, you know, the night before. We 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 choose the homework because we want to get the good grade. We 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 think that self-control, we that we should choose self-control because it's gonna make us healthier. And it does. If that was the only reason, though, that's not really worth taking a Sunday to talk about. See, here's why I think we should choose self-control. We should choose self-control because it will actually make us more free. See, we, we think self-control is going to make us more healthy. We should choose self-control as Jesus followers. Every one of us should choose self-control and embrace self-control because it actually makes us more free. And this idea of self-control leading to freedom actually comes from us, comes to us from the same author in scripture who told us that self-control is a fruit of the spirit and that self-control is something for all of us, regardless of age, stage, race, and politics, regardless of anything. In those verses, he told us we should pursue it. But in his letters to the Corinthians and the Romans, he took it a step further and told us why. So in his letter to the Corinthian church, Paul, his first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul is addressing some controversy and conflict within the church. People are arguing over everything, but primarily they're arguing over what is actually permissible, what they have permission, what they have the rights, what they have the freedom to do as a Jesus follower and within the church. In other words, they have the rights, they have the freedom to do what, what, they, what they want because of their faith. There's arguing over what foods they can eat. There's arguing over who has authority in the church. There's arguing over where they can go within the city. There's arguing over what is acceptable practice during the practice of communion. And there's conflict over what is sexually inappropriate conduct. And to all of that, to all of that conflict, to all of that conflict over, well, this is my right. These are my freedoms. I'm free to do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. Everything is like 
everything's permissible. I can do whatever I want. Like no one has the right to tell me to do anything. Paul wrote this, this little verse that I think is so important and so challenging to, to us as we live in the world that we live today as ourselves, attempting to empty ourselves and follow Jesus as the new self that he is creating us to be. Here's what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. He said this, I have the right to do anything. That's in quotes. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Now, let's pause there. Let's pause there. I just want to remind us, this is, a, this is important. This is something I'm trying to teach my children. This is something that I try to model for my children, but can and should are different. I mean, like, I try to model it to my children. This is something I taught to teenagers back, back in the day as a youth pastor, that can and should are different. Congratulations. If that's the first time you've heard that, that may just free you in some incredibly strong ways, that you think whatever you can do is something that you should do. But can and should are different. To put this in meme-worthy form, some of y'all never learned that can and should are different, and it's showing and it's showing. It's showing because you're doing everything you can do, whether or not you should do it. Yes, you can blank. You, yes, you have the freedom to blank, but not everything that you can do is good for you. Not everything that you can do is good for you. That's a heck of a thought. And for some of us, that's a place that we should stop and hang out. And you should maybe pause the video right now and go like, oh my gosh, these things that I have been doing I shouldn't be doing. I can do them. It's legal to do them. It's, a, it's permissible. I have the freedom. I can know Jesus while doing these things, but these things are harmful to me. They're not healthy for me. They're not healthy for my relationship with God. They're actually not making, like in my freedom, I'm giving away my freedom because I'm doing things that cost me my freedom and cost me the ability to make the right decision the next time. Like this is no good. So I shouldn't be doing those things even though I can do those things things. Here's the questions. Should I do everything I can do? Should I do everything I have a right to do? See, it's an incredibly important idea, but that's not where Paul stopped. That's not where Paul stopped, and that's not the most important idea as we look to Scripture today. He said that he followed up with this second phrase that's so powerful. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. But I will not be mastered by anything. And in this, Paul gives us what self-control is really all about. See, self-control is when nothing else and no one else has control of your self. Self-control is when nothing else and no one else has control of your self. This is what true self-control is. Self-control is when only you and God have control of your life. No one outside of you and God has control of the choices that you make, how you spend your time and money, and what you ultimately will do with your life. And no thing has control over the choices that you make, how you spend your time and money, and what you will do with your life. See, we hear that and we go, oh, well, if that's what self-control is, I've already got that. No one tells me what to do. But let's be honest, let's be honest, let's be honest. For a lot of us, there's something or someone that dictates the decisions that we make, whether we acknowledge it or not, that dictates the relationships that we'll embrace, whether we acknowledge it or not, is the voice playing in your, in your head every time you consider an investment, whether you, believe, whether you acknowledge it or not, is the reason that you shrink back from taking a big leap forward, whether you acknowledge it or not. There's something or someone that keeps you from being the self that God wants you to be and taking the steps that he wants you to take. 
Whether you acknowledge it or not, there's something else at the controls of your self that you are not free to do what you want to do, to make the decisions that you want to make, to embrace the things that you want to embrace, to take the steps that you want to take. And I'll just give you a step of a, 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 a thought to think that through of figuring out to figure out who and or what that might be for you. It's whatever or whoever comes to mind at the end of this sentence. See, I want to take that step, but to take that step, I'd have to give up blank. Or I'd have to say no to blank. And whatever goes in those blanks, that is who has control of yourself. But it does not have to stay that way. Paul wrote again to the Roman church to help them understand the freedom that they had because of what Jesus had done for them and how it was available to them. In Romans chapter 6, here's what he wrote. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In other words, I identify with Christ, not myself. In other words, I'm not primarily Chris. I'm primarily a Christ follower. I identify with Jesus, with his life and with his death and with his new life more than I identify with my old self. Christ died, so did my old self. Christ was buried, so was my old self. Christ was dead, so are the things that used to control me. This is I identify with Christ more than I identify with my old self or my current self or the self that I want to leave in the past. I identify with Christ first and foremost. Then he went on to write this. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now pay attention, there's a, ver a, a, a little phrase that Paul used in there. Our old self was crucified with him. Here's what was crucified with him. It's the self that was ruled by sin, the self that was ruled by someone else's expectations, the self that was controlled by temptation, the self that was controlled by lust, the self that was controlled by your past, the self that was controlled by your phone, the self that was controlled by your schedule, the self that was controlled by anything other than Jesus was crucified with Jesus. When we identify with Christ and we identify with his death, we are saying the self that was controlled by sin or anything less than God was put to death with Jesus on the cross. That self, Paul says, has been crucified with Christ. So we can be free from sin, free from our past, free from anyone other than God's expectations, free from temptation, free from our schedule, free from anything that bound our old self and free from anything that has bound you right now. You can be free of it when you identify with Jesus's death and resurrection. Then he goes on in verse eight, he said, and now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. That's an interesting word, isn't it? I will not be mastered by anything. Paul says, Death has no mastery over Jesus. And when we identify with the new life in Jesus, death has no mastery over us. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Here's a great thought. I no longer live 
for whatever I used to live for. I no longer live for the expectations of a parent that I could never meet the expectations of. I no longer live for my schedule alone. I no longer live to not disappoint this person. I no longer live for the, te- for the things that I want to do after I, th- that I know I shouldn't be doing. I no, longer want to li- I no longer live for those things. I live for God. I live for God. I have, in other words, I have emptied myself and poured my life into God's loving, good, strong hands. I live for him and for his purposes. I live by him, by his strength. I live for him, for his purposes. I live through him, meaning his strength comes through me. And I live with him, meaning he walks with me. I no longer live for anything less than God. I live for God. Nothing has mastery over me because I live for God as my master. And he wrote this to to close out this, this passage. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And then he said this, this is what I want to ultimately rest on. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. You are not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall no longer be your master. What you used to live for shall no longer be your master. What controlled your old self shall no longer be your master. Not because you're not mastered by anyone, but because you are mastered by yourself and you are mastered by God as you follow Jesus. I will no longer be controlled by anything less than myself or anything less than God as he leads myself. This is the goal. For sin shall no longer be your master. Your past shall no longer be your master. Your schedule shall no longer be your master. Their expectations shall no longer be your master. Fear shall no longer be your master. That whatever has mastered you shall no longer be your master for you are free in Christ and you do not live under the law and you do not live under a schedule and you do not live under the control of someone's expectations. You live under the grace of your heavenly father. And so today I just would like to teach you a phrase that, that some of us would say, like we say it joking around to, to people when they tell us what we're going to do. But here's the thing. This may be a phrase that if you started telling the things that try to tell you what to do, that, that, that you've allowed to control your life, that you've allowed to tell you what to do, that you've allowed to dictate your decisions and your relationships and whether or not you take a next step in your relationship with God. If you actually told you know, th- that, those things, this phrase, I think you may find incredible freedom there because you will no longer be mastered by anything else and nothing less than God. You will be the master of your life as you're mastered by God. Here's, here's the phrase that I, would love to, that I would love for you to use as you talk to the things that, that attempt to control your life. Blank, you are not in control of myself. Now, again, you're like, blank? No, whatever goes in the blank, you need to remind that thing or that person that you are not in control of myself. Blank, you are not in control of myself. And let me just give you a few ideas of what might go in that blank. Pride, you are not in control of myself. Pride, you are not in control of myself. Insecurity, you are not in control 
of myself. I do not have to live in a way that attempts to prove to the world who I am or that I am good. I only have to live for the approval of my heavenly Father. Emotions, you are not in control of myself. Some of you, you may need to remind yourself of that every hour. Emotions, you are not in control of myself. Bad day, you are not in control of myself. See, I had a bad day, but that doesn't have to turn into a bad night or a bad week or a bad mood for the rest of the, the, rest of, of, of the week. Bad day doesn't dictate my actions and my responses. I am not controlled by a bad day. I am controlled by myself as I follow Christ. Bad day doesn't get the controls of my life. God has the controls of my life. Temptation, you are not in control of myself. Temptation, you are not in control of myself. Past, you are not in control of myself. Yes, that is how I used to ask, think, act. Thank you for the reminder. But my past doesn't dictate my today or my tomorrow. And my past does not have the controls of my life. God has the controls of my life, not my past. No, no person, whoever that person is that you live for their expectations and you live for their approval, person, you are not in control of myself. It may be your mother. It may be your father. It may be a mother-in-law. It may be a father-in-law. It may be an uncle. It may be someone at work. It may be a husband or a wife, but you are not in control of myself. Relationships. You are not in control of myself. I'm not going to do whatever it takes to be in relationships when I know God has a standard for my relationships. People pleasing. Some of you. You live for the approval of other people. And it's not approval so much as you just want everyone to be happy. You want to live peacefully with everyone. You don't want to ruffle any feathers. You want everyone to kind of like you. And you have lived under the control of that. People pleasing. You are not in control of myself. Religion. You are not in control of myself. Religion. You are not in control of myself. And this is you're like, wait, wait. Yes, religion is not in control of yourself. God is in control of yourself. And if God and religion conflict, God wins. If Jesus and religion collide, Jesus wins. Religion is meant to serve you as you serve Jesus. The second that we start to serve religion, it has taken a place in our lives where, we, where it has become unhealthy. It does not rule us. It does not control us. God does that. Schedule. You do not control myself. Schedule. You are not in control of myself. Some of us, let's be honest, we live to stay busy. We live to stay busy. And the second things start to get less busy, we add things to the schedule so we can stay busy because we just want to keep a loaded schedule and we'll live for the schedule and we'll live to keep the schedule busy and we'll stay busy and stay busy and stay busy. But guess what? Schedule. You are not in control of myself. God is in control of myself. And here's a fun one. Here's a fun one. COVID. You are not in control of myself. And here's why I say that. For some of you, I've, I've been hearing this recently as, as people talk about the last couple of years. Oh, COVID, COVID ruined the last two years of my life. Here's the thing. COVID can make a life more difficult. COVID can only ruin a life if it was in control of a life. And I'm not saying this in like a, let's all go defy every, like that's not what I'm saying. 
But COVID can't ruin your life if it doesn't have control of your life. That it can make things more difficult. It can make things more complicated. It can make things more complex. It can, it can you know, take away some social events. But it can't ruin your life if it doesn't control you or if those things didn't control you. So COVID, you don't control myself. You're not in control of myself. So here's the thing. To all of those things or to whatever would go in your blank, you are not in control of myself. But saying that doesn't completely win. The second part is how we overcome and how we move forward, how we actually find real freedom and lasting self-control. It's not in self-control, but it's in God control. So we say, blank, you are not in control of myself. Schedule, you're not in control of myself. Uh, COVID, you're not in control of myself. Relationships, you're not in control of myself. Approval, you're not in control of myself. Past, you're not in control of myself. That those things are not in control of myself. Only God and myself control myself. I will not be mastered by anything, but I will serve the master above everything. I will not serve I will not be mastered by anything, but I will serve the master above everything, my good and loving heavenly father. I will choose self-control that comes from him. I will allow him to point the way when he wants to point the way. I will, I will live for his approval. I will live for the future that he has for me and not the past that I have left behind me. I will live for him and for him alone. I do not want to be mastered by anything. I do not want to be controlled by anything less than my heavenly Father, as he builds me, as he builds myself, as he builds my self-control. I want to live for my heavenly father. This is how we find freedom and this is how we live in freedom. This is how we stay in freedom. This is how we don't just experience freedom and a peaceful feeling one time when we pray a prayer to experience God's salvation. This is how we live in his freedom. We choose him as the one that we will serve as the master above everything. He is a far better master than your schedule, a far better master than people-pleasing, a far better master than your past, a far better master than temptation, a far better master than money, a far better master, master than your emotions, a far better master than your insecurity, and a far better master than your pride. He loves you. He cares for you. He sent his son to die for you so that you could have a relationship with him and that you could serve him as, his, as, the, as the God that he wants to be in your life as, his, as your heavenly father. Let's choose self-control. Let's choose God-control as he, as he grows our self-control. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace for us. Thank you that we can know you because of what Jesus did for us. And thank you that in us, you want us to grow self-control. Thank you that you do not want us to be mastered by anything, by sin, by shame, by past, by a schedule, by pride, by insecurity, by emotions, by anything less than you. So God, today, would you grow in us? Would you develop in us the ability to see where we lack self-control, where we have been mastered or have been living for something less than you? And God, would you grow in us self-control to be able to control, to, to, to say that that is not in control of my life any longer, but myself and God are in control of my life. I will not be mastered by anything less than God. I live for the one who is above everything else. Would, would you help us to choose you over the things that we have been controlled by? Help us to be controlled by ourselves and to be controlled by you. We love you, God, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.